Father, thanks for your Holy Spirit that leads us in everlasting truth. And I pray that your Spirit would now come and would teach us what the words of, of Scripture mean. Um, Lord, we can, um, we can give all kinds of effort into studying, but uh, we, it's not going to be fruitful at all unless your Spirit does the revealing. And so we ask that your Holy Spirit would now speak to us in our hearts. I pray that we would be uh, soft and tender in our hearts so that we wouldn't um, rebel, that we wouldn't uh, have other things taking up um, the um, affections of our heart except for you, Jesus. Uh, Lord, help us to not hold on to anything else. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Uh, if, I say, if I say Wendy's, what do you think of? All right. Baconator. <laughs> That's right. If I say, if I say, if I say Shanahan's, what do you think of? Huh? What? Yeah, but his restaurant. You ever heard of his restaurant? Right? Okay. Super expensive, three hundred dollars steaks. Right. Okay. So you have you have Wendy's on one side of the spectrum, disgusting hamburgers. Just kidding. I would I would eat a Wendy's hamburger. I'm not. They're not the worst. McDonald's. We'll say McDonald's. Way over there, right? And then you got Wendy's. Then you got a whole chasm. Then you have In-N-Out, right? And then Shanahan's just barely. A, nope. Other way. Then In-N-Out. Okay. I wanted to make sure I had that. So all of these all of these people have reputations, and I chose ones that had you know a name attached to it. A name can have a reputation, a, a person. You know, if I, if I said, you know, who's the, who's the founder of Wendy's? Dave Thomas. You guys are, would do good in categories or whatever. What, what game am I thinking of? Trivial Pursuit. That's what I'm trying to think of. Um, so our, our names of, of people can develop reputations based on uh, what they produce. And, and a lot of times, what kind of food a chef produces has a, a reputation. You have these big chains, the quality is eh, and then you have like a, a one-spot steak place, and it can really produce some good food. Well, last week, we're in Exodus chapter 16, and we've been studying the manna of, of God. And last week, we looked at the manna in regards to the spiritual food that the Word of God is for us, how we're supposed to come every day to the Word of God and we're supposed to feed on it, feed upon it. Today, we're going to take the same chapter, we're going to look at a few of the same verses, but instead of pointing directly towards the Bible itself, we're going to point towards Jesus Christ himself being our manna. And so, he prov- God provides the food for our souls through the Word of God or the Bible, um, but the, the Word of God and Jesus himself are very closely connected. Do you guys know how connected this book in your hands and Jesus himself really is? He calls himself the Word. He calls himself the Word. So Jesus is the Word incarnate. Okay, So all of this is basically... Jesus' heart, his, his personality, his, his uh, wisdom, all of it revealed through these pages 
for us, okay? I want to read a couple verses to you to begin our time today before we get into Exodus, just to solidify this connection between Jesus and the Bible. In Psalm 40, verse 7, the psalmist says, uh, and it's messianic, it's it's Jesus' voice speaking, and it says, Behold, I come in the scroll of the book, it is written of me. So Jesus says, the entire Bible is about me. The whole Bible. All right? In John 5.39, Jesus came and he's talking to the Pharisees and he says, Pharisees, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life, but these are they which testify of me. So if you think the Bible by itself can lead you to eternal life, you're wrong. Because the Bible has to, it testifies of Jesus, and it's the person of Jesus that is revealed in the Bible. So you can have a relationship with the God of the universe through this book. He will speak to you. But if, if it's not pointing you towards Jesus, if you're just studying this for the sake of studying, for, for getting smarter, for being able to win your Bible trivia challenges, for being able to beat your wife in an argument... Glad I added in an argument, right? (laughs) If that's the reason, Jesus Jesus says you're you're not going to find what you're looking for. Because this is only useful when we're using it to dive into the life and into relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, there's, uh, I was at the Colorado Food and Gift Festival yesterday, and, and you know, there's like all the little, booths and some of the booths were like handmade like bible verse things you hang on your wall right and that's that's fine you know they're selling them and and they're cute and you put them on your house you know but some people who have those in their house these bible verses they still live empty lives and totally carnal and they still don't have joy and they still don't have peace why can they they have like i have bible on my walls how can i not have god's peace Well, because there's a disconnect between you as a man and the person of Jesus. Even though there's Bible involved, you haven't personally connected with Jesus. And that's where that um, that, that disconnect happens. As we read the Bible, especially the Old Testament, uh, our greatest joy is to see Jesus in types and in pictures and in figures on each each page then we start to understand that even the old testament books were all pointing towards jesus it's like it's like a treasure hunt that's what it was designed to do you know robert langdon would be so excited if he actually knew the truth that was a good joke have to look it up you ever read the da vinci code of course not because you're a christian but He's the the mystery guy in the the star of the... Anyway. (laughs) When you have to explain it that much, it just loses all its... Okay. (laughs) When we believe in Jesus and we faithfully approach Jesus as we're reading the Bible, the veil is taken away, 2 Corinthians says, and we can see Jesus in all of these types and figures. And so we're going to do that today with the book with the book of Exodus and chapter 16 with the manna, we're going to see Jesus. Again, Jesus said in John chapter 5 verse 46, "If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me." 
Yeah, I'm not crazy. Roses, Moses put together this book, and Jesus says, it's about me. So we're going to see manna, and we're going to look and see how it's about Jesus. In John chapter 6, I know we're taking a lot of introduction time to look at a few verses, but we have to see this verse. In John chapter 6, verse 30 through 35, Jesus says this. Therefore, uh, or they said to Jesus, What sign will you perform that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And what do you think Jesus said to them? I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Isn't that cool? I mean, Jesus himself just basically taught our entire Bible study for us today. The manna is a picture, a foreshadow of what Jesus truly is. It's awesome. So we're going to look at a few um, specific uh, connections in that chapter that we read last week. Um, number one, who does he send Jesus to? Who does he send the manna to? As we read chapter 16, it said in, cha- in verse 2, we'll pick it up there, and it says, uh, And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and ate the bread to the full. For you have brought us out to this wilderness to kill us, the whole assembly, with hunger." Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, as the, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them whether they walk in my law or not. So number one, the first thing we're going to see today is who did he send this bread to? Who did he send his son to? And the answer is a bunch of sinners. <laughs> These people are ungrateful, evil people. And that's who God chose to send his beloved son to rescue sinners. Now, how many of you qualify to be in that group of people? That's right. Hey, thank you very much. (laughs) Jesus came to us not when we deserved it and not when we decided to change our behavior, not when we decided to change our minds. Jesus came to us while we were sinners. You guys know Romans 5.8. It says, but God demonstrates his own, what? Love towards us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The bread was given to us. I love that the only qualification for God to come down and save me is that I be a sinner. And what did the Pharisees and Jesus argue about so much? The Pharisees kept saying, we are not sinners. And Jesus said, if you thought you were sinners, then you could get saved. But because you don't think you're sinners, you can't get saved anymore. Humility is what door you're not walking through. You're staying on your side of heaven, which is hell. You're going to go to hell because you can't humble yourself to acknowledge that you're a sinner. How easy is it to say, 
I was wrong. I am wrong. Well, if you're married, it's nearly impossible, but it's a good thing to learn. Number two, in giving this manna, uh, we're going to see that this manna was closely related to giving the glory of the Lord. Let's look at uh, Exodus chapter 16, verse 7 and verse 10. We're just spotlighting a few of these verses uh, to make these connections. So look at verse 7. In the morning, you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints against him. And then if you look in verse 10, now it came to pass as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of Israel that they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. Jesus is the glory of God revealed and given to us. So we're going to connect this with the book of John again in the New Testament. And I know I'm taking you guys all over the place. We're going to bounce around a little bit today, but you'll love it. Uh, In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So, What this means is that Jesus, this manna, was closely related to the glory of God. And Jesus shows us the glory of God. Jesus allows us to taste the glory of God. Um, How do you explain God's glory to someone who's never tasted and seen? It's really difficult to put into words why God is better than everything this world has to offer. And we come across like lunatics. They're like, why do you spend time with Jesus every single morning? Why do you honor God but with your, with your money and with your relationships and with your, why do you humble yourself all the time? Are you just weak? Are you just a weakling? I, I don't understand why. And, and it's hard for them to understand because they haven't yet tasted and seen. Why? Because they haven't come to Jesus and invited him in because that's how that veil is taken away. Jesus is the only one who can show us this glory. It says he was full of grace and truth. His truthfulness shows us God's glory. His gracefulness shows us God's glory. You can know who God is and what he is like by knowing and looking at Jesus. And relationship with Jesus is the same as relationship with the Father. It's, it's equal, and Jesus says that many times. So if we were to look at 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says this, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So after you and I get saved, we're going to go through a process of transformation from the day we get saved until the day we die, where we're constantly changing. You never arrive completely until you die and your flesh is completely dead, but we are being transformed. And the big Bible word for that is sanctification. Good job. Well taught. I love it. So sanctification. And here he says this transformation is like beholding the glory of the Lord and being transformed into the same image. You are like your friends. You ever heard that phrase? You become like the people you hang out with? How about you are what you eat? 
<laughs> as we trust in Jesus and we look to him and we follow him and we connect with him, we begin to see the glory of the Lord with spiritual eyes. And it starts to make sense to us and it starts to transform us. And all this is done to us. We're transformed into the same glory. We start to obtain the same characteristics of character that Jesus has as we relate to him. We start to desire to trust the Lord when we could panic and freak out. We desire to to honor God when we could steal or we could dishonor him in private and in our integrity. Um, This transformation happens to us. It's not something we're trying to get. It's something that happens to us. You are what you eat. And Jesus, as the manna, they were supposed to consume the manna every day, right? And it would become part of them. And as we consume Jesus through communion, through the word, we become like him. His heartbeat and blood start flowing through you. And now it's no longer you who live, but Christ lives in you. And the life which you now live, you live by faith. Turn to to Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Romans chapter 5. This one's not even in my notes. This is for free. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. I, I learned this, what I'm about to share with you, in my Greek class in Bible college. Uh, Dave Shirley was teaching. And it says uh, in chapter 5, verse 5, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God, the love of God, has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So as we go about a relationship with Jesus, and as we're trusting him, confessing our sin, he says the Holy Spirit comes and he starts pouring out into your heart the love of God. But what's really interesting is this word poured out in Greek is only used in relationship to blood being spilled, blood being poured out which is very interesting because look at it again. It says the Holy Spirit is pouring out the new blood into you. And this new blood is equated with the love of Jesus. In in Luke 22.20 it says, this is the new covenant in my blood. Drink it. You know, as we drink his blood, blood, his sacrifice and faith. And we say, yes, when Jesus died on the cross, it was for me and I need it and I love it and I receive it. The Holy Spirit does a work of pouring that into your core, into your heart. And that is how this transformation happens. His love now courses through your veins. And that's what a true Christian should look like. And sometimes we don't feel that, do we? We have to do this by faith. We have to take these small steps by faith and say, I know I don't feel like reading your word today, but I need a new life because I am dry. And I don't love as I should. I don't. And as we confess that need in humility and we come to him in faith and we read and say, Lord, fill me with that heart. Fill me with that love. God does it for us and he guarantees he would and he guarantees he will but we have to take that first step of saying i'm going to read now in faith that you will pour into me this new life all right if you were to look at the um 
Oh, where were we? Okay, chapter 4, verse 6 of 2 Corinthians. We were just in chapter 3. If you look just forward a little bit, it says, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who is shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So this glory of God. The, Moses in Exodus said the manna was a revelation of the glory of God. Now, in 2 Corinthians, Paul says that we get the light of the knowledge of the glory of God through the face of Jesus Christ. Now, does anyone know what Jesus' face looked like? You don't know what it looked like? I don't know what it looked like either. You know, some people say one thing, some people say another. Uh, we don't know because they didn't have Polaroid back then. And uh, yeah, so we don't know what his face looked like. So what is Paul trying to say here? Is he saying you actually have to know what Jesus' face looked like so all of us are disqualified from knowing the glory of God? No, he's not. What he's saying is that you only really get to know people's faces when you look at them. And you can't do it from a long ways away. I can barely see Ryan's face. It's only because it's a big face. And he's like 25 feet away, right? I can barely make out who that is, right? Any further away and I'm just like, yeah, it's a human, but I don't really know him. So he says it's in the face of Jesus because for you to have a face-to-face encounter with someone, if I say, I, I, met, uh, I met John Elway face-to-face, what's in your mind? Was I two miles away? Was I 100 feet away? Was I 10 feet away? How close was I? Pretty close, right? Close enough to touch. Close enough to reach out and shake a hand, right? That's face-to-face. I don't even know if I would qualify this as face-to-face. You know, 10 feet. It's fish-ish to face-ish. But maybe fish to fish, but not, not face to face. Um, it, it requires intimacy. That's what, what Paul is saying here. He's saying we get the light of the glory, the, the knowledge of the glory of God. We get to understand how wonderful he is and his character only as we intimately connect with Jesus Christ. And he does the work of revealing it to us. Our only job is to connect with him, is to come to him. And what do you have to do to do that? You can't climb a mountain to go, Jesus, it's right in your word. It's so close to you. Just open the word and read. And, and he does the work of the revealing and the, and the change, the transformation. It's all from him. Okay, so that's the second lesson that we see uh, in, in chapter 16 of Exodus. The third one is that the manna came down from heaven, right? He said, I will give you bread from heaven for you guys, you dirty, rotten sinners. I'm going to give it from heaven. John chapter 3, verse thir- uh, 13 says, No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. And in the same chapter, John 3, verse 31, he who comes from above is above all, but he who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. And more verses. I'm just going to read lots of verses to you. John chapter 6. Okay, I'm going to read some verses here. For I, Jesus says, have come down from heaven. Not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Then verse uh, 41 Then the Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it that he says, I have come down from heaven? 
So people have a problem with this. Our world has a problem. What do you mean Jesus was God? Verse 50. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh and I will give for the life of this world. I will give it for the life of this world. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. Jesus himself says all of this chapter is about the manna. So we needed to read those verses because Jesus is giving us the commentary on chapter 16 of Exodus. Jesus is saying the entire manna incident was about me and you guys eating me every day day. What are you consuming every day? What are you consuming every day? The news? Replace that with Jesus. Um, Are you consuming entertainment? We do. I mean, we consume some, not all of us, maybe. Replace it with Jesus, and you will find nothing but blessing. You will find nothing but life poured into you. Are you telling me I need to give up everything that's fun? No. I'm telling you, give up what's death for what's life. Why, who wants to partake of death? When we really see what's beneficial to us, we will change our diet. Who's ever gone through the thing where you change your diet? Isaac used to be fat Isaac. I saw pictures. And... <laughs> and <laughs> I have your permission to share that, right? <laughs> so, yeah. And, and, and he decided to change some diet things and it worked for him and now he's super awesome. I don't know what to call you, but great looking Isaac. Healthy looking Isaac. There you go. So when, we, when you go through that, you, you've realized, man, I, I need to change my diet because something I've been partaking of is not good for me. Okay, so we got in an accident yesterday, right, Dane and I? There was a, a semi-truck that hit us, and it was a Pepsi semi-truck. And when I saw this semi-truck, I had to just laugh. And Dane and I both laughed, and she knew exactly what I was thinking, and I knew what she was thinking, because six months ago, she gave up drinking Pepsi. Because drinking Pepsi was going to kill her. And now, Pepsi's still trying to kill her. And I just thought it was the funniest thing that I've ever seen in my life. Sometimes we need to stop partaking in things that are trying to kill us, right? Amen. Jesus is saying, I am, I am something you can consume. And when you consume me, it's life, and it will never bring death to you. And you have to get over it. You think it's boring. It's not. I'm telling you, life is not boring. Adam, imagine Adam being created the first day, and there's just all this new world around him, and he's like, got any TV? I'm bored. I'd like to go to a bar. No, it, that's, you, you can't even imagine that because you're thinking there's so much life to explore, right? Well, Jesus is the eternal life that can be explored. 
him and his word, like we're finding all of these wonderful truths. These are like mountaintops that we see. And, and it, it grieves me, I'm going to make this on me, when I neglect diving into his life for stretches of time. Why did I not dive into his word? It grieves me. I could have had so much life. I could have experienced things. I could have heard from the Lord. I could have received from the Lord. But I chose to check out because I needed a recovery day or I needed a uh, me day instead of a life day. So, are we eating the bread from heaven or are we scavenging up stuff from this world? What is our time taking up with? Are we chewing and digesting like we talked about last week, the word of God? Are you just chewing on it, writing down a verse, chewing on it all day long, digesting it, let it become a part of you? Or are we ignoring the life that's offered to us? I know that I'm learning I'm not going to say I'm there yet, but I'm learning to turn away from the emptiness and worthlessness of this world, the wilderness of this world. Um, Romans 8.5, it says, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. Babies don't like chewing, but as they grow older, they learn to enjoy it, right? We learn, I like chewing. Man, when you got a steak and it's just like delicious, you can chew that thing for 20 minutes and it's, well, that might be a little exaggerate, but the chewing is like one of the best parts of it, right? Because you're, oh, just savory and awesome. Well, reading the Bible when you first come to know the Lord can seem unenjoyable. What is going on? I don't understand what's going on. And God's like, I know, I'm going to give you the milk of the word first. I'm, you don't need to chew it as a newborn baby. But as we grow, he teaches us to enjoy the chewing process. The spending time with him is like chewing, okay? So at first, we didn't get very much out of reading the word, but as we mature, we learn to truly feast upon the word of God, don't we? Um, All right, the fourth thing we're going to look at today is that manna was a free gift from God. All right, in, in chapter 16 of Exodus, verse 15, so the children of Israel saw it and they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. Jesus has given his life as a free gift of grace to all that would accept it. You guys know John three sixteen, right? So God so loved the world that he gave for free his only begotten son that whoever believes on him should not perish Believing is eating. Believing is eating. So in your Christian dictionary, in the back of your Bible, you can write believing equals eating. And how do I know that? This is not just a pastor telling you something. The word of God defines it for us in John 6.35 when he says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger and he who believes in me will never thirst. The bread is eaten by believing. I believe that when I read this word, Jesus, you will speak to me because that's what your promise says. That's what the word of God says. All right, the fifth thing we learned today is that the manna was close to them. It wasn't really far away. They didn't have to journey out into the wilderness to get the manna. 
It was right there for them. And that's in verse 13 and 14 of Exodus 16. So it was the quails came up at the evening and covered the camp. And in the morning, the dew lay all around the camp. And when the layer of dew lifted there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance as fine as frost on the ground. Again, they were in the wilderness and that's where the manna came. God didn't say, well, I'd like you to go to Bible college. And there I will feed you. I'd like you to go to church. And there is where you will eat. No, he says, wherever you're at, I will come to you and I will feed you. Romans 10.6 says, But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend to heaven that is to bring Christ down from above? Or who will descend to the abyss that is to bring Christ up from the dead? But what does it say? The word is near to you, near to you, in your mouth and in your heart. And that is the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus is as close as faith. He is as close to you as believing he is all that you need. And he offers himself to you completely to satisfy all of your hunger. But we don't eat much because we don't really believe he will truly meet our need. We think TV will, though. We think our job will. We think our family will. We think our politics will. We think our church will and our religion will. And all these things are idols. They can be idols. What is an idol? An idol is anything that you run to when you're stressed out, when you're tired, when you're worried or concerned, when you need something. It's where you go. It's where you turn. And Jesus hates, God hates idolatry, right? We're going to see it. It's like the second commandment. And he says, I, I, I will be your God. You, you will be my God and I will, I will be your God and you will be my people, but I do not accept idolatry from you. And if you as my child or my, my son or my daughter, if you decide you want to run to something else before me, guess what I will do? I'm not going to send you to hell. I'm going to discipline you. And what does that look like? When you're being disciplined by the Lord, do you know what it feels like? No peace. He takes away his peace. He removes his peace when we have idolatrous hearts. And what does it look like when someone doesn't have peace? Worry, anxiety, despondency, depression, all of these things are just a sign of God's discipline in your life. And God disciplines those he hates? No, no. God disciplines those he loves. It's his love. Why am I so miserable and oh, because God loves you. That is 100% the truth. It is the truth. Well, I don't believe God loves me, and that's your problem. It doesn't feel like God loves me, so I don't really believe it, and that is the problem. How far away is Jesus? If you would just believe, he's with you. 
Our problem, guys, is that idolatry tricks us into thinking um, something else will meet our needs. You know, uh, we don't think that Jesus actually will meet our need, that he actually cares, that he actually will do what he said he would do, which is everything. He said he would do everything for you. He said he would save you in every situation, provide for every one of your needs, but we don't believe it. And idolatry makes it so easy for us to just, oh, you're having an argument with your spouse or your boss. And it's so easy to just go home and check out as a guy and because the TV doesn't argue with you. It doesn't. It does what I say all the time. Click. I don't like what you're saying. Click. Change the channel. And so this TV is now an idol in my heart because I have come to it when I am in an argument and a problem and stress and, and, and a tough, and, and I've said, TV, you will, you will help me through this. And God comes to me and he says, no child. And so what grows in me is bitterness and disappointment and I am now worried and I am now stressed and, I, and that God is allowing me to feel all of these horrible things. And, and I say, okay, what should I have done? And Jesus says, you should have come to me. And when you came to me and you were having an argument with your spouse, I would have said to you, lose. Stop fighting. Lay down your life in love for your spouse. And you didn't want to hear that, did you? No, I didn't. I, I like what the TV said to me. I don't like what you would have said to me, so I stayed away from you, and God says, that's why I discipline you. Because you must learn, I alone am the way of life. You cannot have life outside of me. Amen, guys? Amen. Amen. Jesus is ready to meet with you daily and to be your food and to be your God. And he will discipline you if you go away from him. Uh, next thing we're learning is daily relationship. We see this typified in our text. In verse 16, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man, every man gather it according to each one's need, an omer for each person according to the number of persons. Let it be uh, that every man take those who are, uh, who are in his tent. So now that Jesus has come, there is no need for another mediator, okay? So he wants personal relationship. You can't go to a priest to talk to God anymore. Jesus is coming. It's the heavens open. <laughs> we love you. The veil, as you guys know, was torn. And so there is no, nothing blocking our personal connection and relationship with Jesus. And, and so not as this, this relationship with Jesus isn't just, required, isn't just offered to you, but it is required. You have to personally connect with Jesus. You can't let someone else do it for you. You can't depend on your parents or your pastor or your spouse. Again, do you believe that Jesus wants to meet with you and wants to speak to you every day? He does. That's what the word of God says and declares. But we neglect it. And we neglect it because we don't believe. And what don't we believe? We don't believe that God truly loves us. We don't. Look at 1 Corinthians 13. If you were to think about 1 Corinthians 13, first, we know that that is, God is, or that is the love chapter, right? And we say, love is patient. 
But I guarantee us that we don't really believe God is that patient with us. Because if I were to say, if you fail Jesus a hundred times in a row, a hundred straight days, do you think God is going to be patient with you? You might say, yeah, but what are you going to feel? And you're going to feel like you've disappointed God. Even though you repent every time and you say, I am wrong, I am wrong, I repent, you're going to feel like you've disappointed God. And that feeling is part of you, it's a huge part of you, but it's arising from a heart that does not believe yet that God is patient. That God keeps no records of wrongs. That God never fails. We don't believe it. And that is the reason why we go towards idolatry. Is because we doubt that God really loves a sinner like me. That's the truth. And so we go to so many other things, but we already dove into that. Daily relationship. Number seven, the seventh thing we see as a picture of Jesus, and there's many more than what I'm giving you guys. I'm just giving you some highlights, is that it's supposed to be every day. He, uh, Jesus says, give us our, day, uh, our daily bread, right? Give us this day our daily bread. What's he talking about? Well, obviously our, our needs, our daily needs, but even more than that, our spiritual nourishment. Jesus is our daily bread. Would your wife be okay with one conversation a week? Husbands, we'd probably be fine. <laughs> Give me a kiss on my way to work. Tell me a recap at the end of the week. See ya. <laughs> but our wives need daily conversation, right? Because they are much more skilled in this arena of relationship than us men are. And so relationship is built on daily communication and Jesus requires nothing less of us. You must come and speak to me. I am your husband. You are my bride. And I want to speak to you. I'm giving myself to you every morning. The eighth thing we see is that this manna was white in color. Exodus uh, 16.31, the house of Israel called its name manna, and it was white, uh, like a white coriander seed, and the taste was like wafers made with honey. And white speaks of purity or lack of sin, like Jesus was without spot, without blemish, and sinless, right? Number nine, we see that this, um, we're going to venture out of Exodus 16 now, but in Numbers chapter 8, we're going to see that this uh, manna was ground up. It was ground up. Uh, The people went about and gathered it from the ground and and ground it on millstones or beat it in the mortar, cooked it in pans and made cakes of it. And its taste was like of a pastry prepared with oil. And this speaks to us of the suffering of Jesus, that um, he was our savior and he had to physically suffer more pain than any human being ever. And that suffering is to be the centerpiece of our thoughts every day. And it will produce in us a sweetness of relationship with him. It will be a taste. When you have spent time in the morning feasting upon the suffering of Jesus, you have you've spent time thanking him for his suffering, remembering what he's done for you, and, and letting that just pour into you, you will have a, a flavor about you that day that is very different. You know, when your boss comes in and says, you got to work 10 extra hours a day and I hate you. You're going to be like, well, that's nothing compared to what Jesus went through. And I gladly love you and serve you even in this difficultness. That's not a word. 
when we consume this suffering peace daily, um, it flavors our life. It makes us the salt of the earth. You guys know the quote, life is pain. If anyone tells you any different, they're selling something. The princess bread. All right, uh, the last thing, or yeah, the last thing we're going to look at today. We're almost done, guys. Thank you for being so strong and studying the word today. Uh, is that the manna is now hidden. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 17, it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We're living now in the church age. But it says, To him who overcomes, I will give him some of the hidden manna to eat. So, have you guys seen Jesus walking down the street? No. He is hidden. He is not visible to us anymore. He's, like you could call it, hidden up in heaven, right? And we can't see him anymore, but we still have to believe in Jesus today. Well, that's not fair. And you guys are exactly right. Thomas said the same thing, right? In John chapter 20, Jesus said to Thomas, because you have seen me, you're blessed, you know, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. We are those blessed ones. We eat the hidden manna. We are satisfied when we should be dying. Uh, We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. But we dive into the life of Jesus and eat his promises every day and supernaturally they're revealed to us. The world is constantly tempting us to come away and be satisfied with its delicacies, isn't it? You, you need this. You know, if you, if you watch TV, every commercial is this. You need this. Your life is not complete without this, right? But Jesus does the same thing. We have just had a 45-minute advertisement that Jesus is saying, come out and be satisfied with me. You know, you guys know Isaiah chapter 55, it says, whoever is hungry, let him come and, and have bread. And it's free. Whoever's thirsty, come to the fountain and drink. And it's free without price. You don't have to pay anything for it. You just have to come to me. So are we going to respond to Jesus? In the Song of Solomon, you have a, a, a girl and you have the, the man. And they often represent the church and Jesus. They're, you can look at it in that way. And if you're looking at it in that way, at the end of one chapter, you have Jesus coming and looking for his bride, and he wants to spend time with her, but it's early in the morning. And, and I hate early mornings, don't you guys? But some, some of us are morning people, right? But, <laughs> but Jesus evidently is a morning person, especially in the Song of Solomon. And he comes, and he comes to his wife's little cottage, and it's cool in the morning, and, and he, he's rapping on her window, and he's like, come out, and, and I want to go on adventures with you, and I want to spend time with you. And she's like, oh, that would be great, but I'm tired. So she stays in bed. Then she wakes up, and she goes out, and she starts looking for it because her husband, the, 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 the lover, was gone. And she starts looking for him, and she goes looking all throughout the highways and byways and asking people, where is my lover? And everyone's like, I don't know. And what that picture shows me is that Jesus is just so ready to spend time with us in the mornings. But we like to delay it. 
And by the time we get up and going, and by the time we spend three o'clock in the afternoon, and we're like, oh, I forgot to spend time with Jesus today. And Jesus is like, yeah, you missed out. You missed out. I love you, and I'll take you back, and I'll, you'll find me again. But this day is past. I'm done wasting my life. I don't know about you guys. I don't want to miss a single more day with Jesus and the adventures that he has for me. Amen?